Good morning. It is good to see you today. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and meet me in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be. If you are new with us this morning, man, we are glad that you're here. We're excited that you've come to worship with us today. It is my prayer every week that Sunday would be a blessing for you. And so I hope that you are blessed this morning as we worship the Lord. Uh, you know, John Piper, he has said several years ago that it's not books that change lives, it's not paragraphs that change lives, but sentences change lives. And there are a few sentences that, that I've read throughout my life that have changed my life. And one of those sentences is this one from Truett Cathy, uh, the founder of Chick-fil-A. He said this, he said, food is essential to life, therefore make it good. All right, amen, right? It happens to be that one of my spiritual gifts is eating good food, right? Not even just eating good food, but eating okay food, right? Uh, I, I can do that. Uh, we know that food is vital to life, but I wonder this. How would your life look different if you stopped eating today? If you stopped eating food today, how would your life look different? Now, we know the, uh, the physical and the medical problems, right, that, uh, that would come with that. But what about just life in general? If you stopped gathering, maybe gathering with your family every night, or you stopped gathering with friends or whatever it may be, you stopped eating, how would your life look different? I know for me that, that I would miss asking my kids each day around the dinner table, what did you learn at school? And they say, I don't remember, right? That's the highlight of my day. Hey, hey what'd you do at PE today? I don't know, right? I would miss those things. But we understand that our lives would look different if we stopped eating today. Let me ask you this question. What difference would it make if you never celebrated the Lord's Supper again? What, how would your life be different if you never celebrated communion again? See, the Lord's Supper, it's more than just a ritual that we do. It's more than just something that we thought might be a good idea. The Lord's Supper is given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is what the church before us would call a means of grace. It's a way that we experience and encounter the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to look at Luke 22 as we, we bring this study, we're calling around the table, experiencing grace at the table with Jesus. As we, we land the plane on this, we're going to end here in Luke 22, and we're going to see this truth, that the Lord's Supper is a constant reminder of the grace we need. The Lord's Supper is a constant reminder of the grace that we need. So look with me here at Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to read down to verse 23. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word. Starting in verse 14, we read this. When the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. They began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is God's word. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning confessing that we need you. God, we need your grace. We need you to speak to us now. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that, that you would speak to us through your word. Father, we're, we're not here to hear a word from me, to hear a word from anyone else. Father, we're here to hear from you. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we look at Luke chapter 22, we see a few truths about about the Lord's Supper. The first is this, is the Lord's Supper is a preview of our future. The Lord's Supper is a preview of our future. If you've been with us the last several weeks, then you've, you've journeyed with us through this study in the Gospel of Luke. If you're new with us, you've picked a great week to be here because this is the last week in this series, but it sets us up perfectly for where we're going in February. And you might say, well, where are we going in February? You'll have to come to find out, all right? Uh, you'll have to be here. Uh, but over the last several weeks, we've looked at Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 9. And, and today we fast forward to Luke chapter 22. Now, this is not the last meal that we will see Jesus eat. In fact, Luke 24 is the last meal that we see in the gospel of Luke that Jesus ate. And it's actually my favorite of the meals that are eaten in Luke, uh, in the gospel of Luke by Jesus. It's Jesus makes breakfast for the disciples and he, he teaches them how to read the Bible. That's a breakfast I would want to be at. But here we, we come to Luke 22 where Jesus institutes or he gives for us what, what we call the, the Lord's Supper. Now as we, we kind of get up to speed on what's happening, Judas is going to betray Jesus and he's already put this plan into place. In fact, if you were to go back and read a little bit before where we are today, you would see where, where Judas has already put this plan in place. But this plan, it's not a surprise for Jesus. It doesn't catch Jesus off guard. No, Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows what Judas is doing. And the last thing he wants to do with his disciples is to celebrate Passover. He wants to come together and, and celebrate this feast, to celebrate this meal with them. Now, maybe you are new to church. Maybe you're new to this Bible thing. You're asking, what is Passover? Well, Passover is a feast that was instituted in the Old Testament that commemorates something that God did that we call the Exodus. There's a book, second book of the Bible is called the Exodus. And the Exodus was very important for us today, but it was very important for Jews in the Old Testament and even in Jesus' day. In fact, whenever you asked a Jew, what is Yahweh like? Tell me about Yahweh. They wouldn't tell you that he was great and that he was holy and that he was righteous and that he was powerful, even though they believed all those things. They'd say, you want to know what Yahweh's like? Let me tell you a story. And they would tell you the story of the Exodus. When Yahweh, when God delivered Israel out of slavery, out of the hands of Egypt and into freedom. And what happened was, is, is to make this happen, the, the Lord had, had started to work and, and these 10 plagues had hit Egypt and the 10th the being the worst where uh, the firstborn of every family would die. 
in one night. But the Lord told Israel that they were to sacrifice a lamb. This lamb was to be a certain age and it was to be spotless. And they were to sacrifice that lamb and they were to eat it. And they were to eat it with their sandals on and their staff in their hand. But what they were supposed to do with that sacrificed lamb is they were to take that blood and they were to smear it. They were to, to dab it over the door entering their home. And so when the angel of death passed by in the night, that any house that was covered by the blood of the lamb would be passed over. And then the Lord institutes this feast to, to celebrate and to commemorate the way that he had delivered Israel from slavery, the way that he had delivered Israel from Egypt. And so Jesus, he's brought his disciples together here in Luke 22, and they're going to eat, they're going to celebrate this Passover. Look at verse 14. Luke writes, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. Now this hour that came, this was the hour that the Passover was to be eaten. If you, you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, well, one of the things you'll see is that this meal, it was to be eaten at a certain time. Now, this meal typically began at sundown, this celebration, this feast, it would begin at sundown, and then they would start to go through all that was included in it. But we keep looking, it says, when the hour came, he being Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. Now, we've seen that phrase, reclined at table, several times through the Gospel of Luke. This is the posture of a feast. What we have here is we have Jesus hosting a feast. But we have Jesus hosting a celebration. Verse 15, he says this. He, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he's telling his disciples that he's going to suffer he says, I've earnestly desired it. If we were to translate that literally, it would be something like, I have desired a great desire to eat this meal with you. Now, why would Jesus desire this great desire? Because he knows that, that after this, everything will be different. He says, I, I want to eat it with you before I suffer. And even though he'd been telling the disciples he's going to suffer, he's going to suffer, they missed it. They didn't get what he was saying. They didn't know what he was saying. And so he says, I've desired to eat this because everything's going to change. In verse 16, we start to see some truths about the Lord's Supper that, that should be encouraging to us. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So we're going to eat this meal again one day with Jesus. But until then, Jesus isn't going to eat it. When is he going to eat this meal? When will he eat it? When it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus, he, he's painting this picture here for us. And you read it carefully. What you see is that what he's doing here is he's painting this picture of a messianic banquet. He's painting this picture of this banquet, that this feast that he's going to throw for all of his people. But we know because we've read the end of the book that, that this feast, it's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. Flip with me over to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to read just a few verses from there in Revelation 19, uh, verses 6 through 9. We've got it on the screen for you. It says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Keep in mind, great multitude. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah, 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. There's this great multitude. Well, who is this great multitude? It's those who have been redeemed throughout all of history. So understand this. If you've trusted Christ, you are in this number. Right? If you've trusted Christ, this scene is from your future. Typically, when someone tells me, I know the future, I say, give me some lottery numbers. Right? Uh, g- give me a little help here. Are the Gators ever going to be good again? Right? No, but here, this is a scene from your future if you've trusted Christ. We should memorize that song because that's the song that we are going to sing at the supper. See, the Lord's Supper, what we do when we celebrate, when we practice the Lord's Supper, this is a taste of heaven. This is a foretaste of what is to come, a foretaste of what you and I will experience. Maybe, maybe you're a planner. You like to plan everything out. I am not a planner. I'm married a planner. And so what that means is Anna needs a lot of prayer. Right? Because uh, I just kind of live in the moment. Uh, she'll, uh, I'll ask her, hey, what are we doing on Saturday? And she'll say, well, did you look in the calendar? And I'll say, why do you ask me questions you already know the answer to? Right? Uh, you know that I didn't look in the calendar because I, I don't think about that. But there is one time when I do plan and I plan meticulously. I plan carefully. And that's whenever I'm going to a new restaurant. Whatever I told you is one of my spiritual gifts is to eat good food. And so when I find out I'm going to a restaurant that I have never been to, because we live in an age of God's grace, I can Google the menu. So I look up the menu and I start reading through the menu. What am I going to eat? And typically what I do is I find, all right, here's what I want to eat. All right, how much does it cost? All right, let's knock it down two notches, right? Uh, all right, that, that's, uh, I get this idea. All right, what, what's the, the entree? What, what sides am I going to do? Oh, they have Brussels sprouts? Not eating it, right? Or, or what, whatever it may be, right? The, the, and I plan, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And it builds this great anticipation. But you know what? Reading the menu never compares to eating the steak. Right? Reading the menu never compares to that, that first bite of whatever it may be. This is what the Lord's Supper is to be for us. When rightly understood and rightly practiced, the Lord's Supper is a preview of our future so that we aren't just reading about that feast, but we're getting a foretaste of what that feast is going to look like. Right, that we get to spend eternity brothers and sisters in Jesus. That means look around and get used to the faces that you see because this is a taste of heaven. You're making a note, I don't want to sit next to that guy, right? I don't want to, I don't want to sit next to him. I don't want to sit next to her, but the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of what we will experience. Tim Chester, he's a a pastor in the UK. He said this, he said that the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of God's coming new world. So here's what this means. Is that as hard as this life may be, the Lord's Supper is a reminder that heaven is just around the corner. 
right? As difficult as this life may be, the, the Lord's Supper is a reminder that because Jesus won, we will win, right? Here's, here's encouragement for you, Christian. You are one day closer to heaven today than you were yesterday, right? When you, you woke up this morning, you were one day closer to eating with Jesus, You're one day closer to experiencing the fullness of Jesus's presence. I can remember growing up and and thinking, I want Jesus to come back, but not yet. But the older I get, I think I want Jesus to come back and I wanted it yesterday. But but what the Lord's Supper does is it reminds us that, that life may be difficult, things may be hard, but heaven isn't that far away. Jesus isn't that far gone. And that as we eat this meal together, we're reminded that life is hard, but at the end we get Jesus. And we don't just get Jesus for 70 years or 80 years or 90 years. We get Jesus for eternity. We get Jesus forever. So we see that the Lord's Supper is a preview of our future. Next we see this. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of our salvation. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of our salvation. Every once in a while, the Lord just kind of hits me between the eyes with some things uh, because I don't pick up on subtleties, right? You can ask my wife, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I've been dropping hints for the last six months. Well, were they in the calendar, right? Because I didn't see them if they were. (laughs) But one of the things that the Lord has just drilled into my mind over the last couple of years is this, is that much of the Christian life is remembering. Much of endurance in the Christian life and for the Christian life is recalling. It's remembering what God has done. It's remembering who we are. It's remembering who we were. It's remembering that God is great and he's powerful and he's mighty. And and what we see is that the Lord gives us tools for remembering. And the Lord's Supper is one of those tools. Lord's Supper is one of those tools for remembering what God has done. So look at verse 19. Luke tells us that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, he takes unleavened bread from the Passover meal. And we get this picture, if you, you read Luke carefully, you get this picture, that Jesus doesn't just grab the bread and start tearing it apart. He just grabbed the bread and break it. My, my kids, uh, I love them, but they're spoiled. And so they, they don't eat crust on their peanut butter and jellies. Uh, and uh, they're like the grandparents, you know, they'll cut them really nice. Like, you didn't do that for me, right? Well, we didn't love you as much as what they tell us. But uh, so the, the other day I'm, I'm in the, the kitchen and my, or Nora is making uh, peanut butter and jelly. And she just starts ripping the crust off. I was like, what are you doing? She said, oh, I don't want crust. I said, there's starving children somewhere. I'll eat that, right? And so, so I ate it. But, but she was just, just kind of not even really paying attention. It's not the picture that we get of what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus is doing here is he's breaking the bread, and he's breaking it with some in, intentionality. But we also get this picture that he's breaking it with intensity because he's, he wants to get the disciples' attention, right? He, he wants them to understand something. And so he says here, he says, this is my body broken for you. This broken bread, it represents the sacrificial death of Jesus. But what Jesus is doing here, the disciples don't get it yet, but they will soon. He's showing that he is the final fulfillment of all of the ceremonies surrounding the Passover lamb. 
on the cross, Jesus became our sacrifice. He is the basis on which God now passes over our sins. In other words, what we have here is we have a picture of the last Passover that ever needed to be eaten. We have a picture of the first Lord's Supper that would come. Why is this the last Passover? Because we have the last Passover lamb, right? Jesus is the final fulfillment of all that the lamb represented. Now, there's a phrase in this verse that is one of the most hotly debated and highly contested phrases in all of Scripture. There in verse 19, he says, this is my body. What does he mean when he says, this is my body? Well, our Roman Catholic friends, they hold to something called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation is a big word, but here's what it means. They believe that the bread and the cup are literally the body and the blood of Jesus. So in a Catholic mass, what they believe is that every time they celebrate the mass, they're literally re-sacrificing Jesus to atone for our sins. But Jesus has already been sacrificed, the full and final sacrifice. There's another, uh, another take. Our Lutheran brothers and sisters, they hold to this. It's called consubstantiation. Make sure you spell that right on the test later. But they believe that the body and blood are present in the bread and the wine. Now, the historic Protestant understanding is that Christ, and this is what we hold to here at Central, is that Christ is present both symbolically and spiritually. That Christ is present as we take the Lord's Supper. He's present not merely in the symbol of the bread and the cup, but he is present spiritually as we take this meal and as we encounter his grace. And so Christ, he he says, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he says this, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now that word do, it's this idea of keep on doing this. The the Lord's Supper is to be frequent. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, Israel is given, they're given commands for how they are to, to practice the Lord's Supper and that they're to take it once a year. Sorry, Passover. They're to celebrate Passover once a year. The Lord's Supper is different, though, because the Lord's Supper represents a greater exodus with a greater deliverer that brings a new Passover and doesn't just save us from slavery to a kingdom, but saves us from slavery to sin. You might have heard me say this before. I think that we should, if I had my, my druthers, we would take the Lord's Supper every week. I said this to a gentleman at a a former church one time, and he said, but wouldn't you get tired of it? I said, I I don't know, brother. You ever gotten tired of kissing your wife? And he said, well, this is different. I said, is it? Because if you approach it just as a ritual or just something that you have to do, then yeah, you probably would get tired of it. But you know, I've never gone to my wife and said, hey, it's 1030. I guess we got to kiss now, right? No, no. If my wife will kiss me, I'll take it, right? Uh, Why would it be any different when we have an opportunity to gather around the table of Jesus, to gather around the table with Jesus and to celebrate the gospel? And so Jesus says here, he says, this this is to be done frequent. He doesn't say you should do it every week. He doesn't say you should do it once a quarter. We do it once a month, typically. But, But it should be frequent, and it should be a frequent reminder of the grace that not only we need, but also the grace that we have experienced. 
So this morning, we're going to do just that. We're going to do it a little different. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now. So hopefully you were able to grab one of these cups as you came in. If you weren't, you can just slide your hand up. We've got some ushers who will get, uh, get that cup for you. You know, we get this picture of the Lord's Supper here in Luke 22 and in 1 Corinthians 11. The one, this meal, it wasn't our idea, it wasn't the disciples' idea, it was Jesus' idea. But we also get this picture that this meal, it wasn't just Jesus' idea, it was for Jesus' people. And so maybe, maybe you're here and you're just kind of exploring this gospel thing, this Jesus thing. Man, I, we are glad you're here. I am glad that you are here. We want to be a place where people can come and explore Jesus. We want to be a place where people can come and they can give Jesus a chance. But here, here's what I would ask of you. Uh, if you have that cup, as we take this Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask you just set it down to the side or just keep it in your hand. Because the first time that you eat this meal, man, the Bible says that, that Jesus wants us to know the gravity of the grace that we have received. Right, the seriousness of the purchase that he has made. You might think, well, people are looking at me. I promise you this. They're just trying to figure out how not to spill juice on their pants. Right? That's, that's what they're focused on. So you take that cup and you can pull that first tab. You'll, you'll find that bread, find that, that wafer. Obviously, this is a little different than what Jesus would have used, but Luke tells us here in verse 19, that he took a, sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse 19, and he, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. It means that as we eat this bread, that we, we aren't just eating this wafer, we're not just eating this cracker, but instead we are, we are being reminded by Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, that as we eat this bread, that our salvation came at a price. This bread, this, this cracker, it's not just something else, but it represents the broken body, the, the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So the scriptures tell us here, he took the bread and he, he gave thanks. He broke it and the disciples ate. So would you give thanks with me? Uh, Father, we are grateful for the broken body of Jesus. Father, we're, we're grateful for the price of our salvation. And Father, we pray this morning that as we eat this bread, this wafer, that this wouldn't just be something else that we eat, but that this would be a reminder and an experience and a taste of our salvation. Father, we pray that as we eat this, that you would help us to look forward all the more to when we eat it with Jesus. We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can take and eat. Verse 20 tells us, and likewise, the cup. After they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So after the bread, Jesus, he takes a cup. Now in the Passover, there are four cups. One of the things that's unique about Luke when compared to the other gospels is he's the only one that mentions the first cup. And so now Jesus takes this cup and we think that it was probably the third cup because the third cup was the cup of redemption, also called the cup of blessing. He takes this cup and he introduces something that is not a new idea, but that introduces a new part in redemptive history. He, he talks about this new covenant. 
Now, he says this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What is this new covenant? Well, new, it's the sense of what is old has become obsolete and replaced with what is new. But the first place, one of the early places that we see this idea introduced is in Jeremiah chapter 31. In Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31 and going to verse 33, uh, let me read this passage for you. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this. This is God speaking. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is what God is saying, saying that I'm gonna make a new covenant. Jesus is saying this new covenant is now and this new covenant isn't like the old covenant. It's completely different. Now, instead of the law being written on tablets of stone, I'm gonna write the law on their hearts. Now, instead of this being a people, this is gonna be a person, it's gonna be a personal salvation, right? This is going to be intimate. This is going to be known. And so Jesus, he, he talks about this cup and he, he says this cup is like his blood. And people ask, well, why does it, does it be blood? Our, our religion our faith is a bloody faith. Well, the shedding of Christ's blood is important. See, in the, the ancient world, the ratification of a covenant was often associated with shed blood. In fact, the way oftentimes that a, a covenant would be ratified is that two parties, they would come together and they would make a covenant. And a covenant, understand this, a covenant is not a contract. A covenant is not a promise. A, a covenant is binding. This is why we take marriage serious because it's a marriage covenant. Right, so there's this, this covenanting together, and what would happen is the two parties, they would, they would come together and they would make this covenant, and then they would sacrifice an animal. Oftentimes, they would take a bull. They would sacrifice that bull, and they would cut it in half, and they would put one half of the bull on one side and one half of the bull on the other side. They would join hands, and they would walk through the middle of that bull, and what that was is that was a sign to everyone watching that if either one of them breaks this covenant, then what happened to this bull should happen to them. Now, if you, you go back to God's covenant that he makes with Abraham, all of that takes place. The bull is cut in two. Then what happens is God says, Abraham, you're not going to walk through with me. Instead, he, God takes a pot, and this pot walks through the two halves of the animal. Because what God is saying to Abraham, he's saying this covenant isn't dependent on you, it's dependent on me. And now what Jesus is saying here as he's saying, this new covenant, it's not dependent on how good you can be. It's dependent on how, how powerful I am. See, the covenants were often ratified with blood. And what was thought was that what's written in blood would be lasting. It would be unforgettable. It would be indelible. And so what we see here is like Passover, Christ, the, the Lamb of God, he is sacrificed. But his blood, it's not placed on our doorpost. Instead, it covers our lives. And we aren't just redeemed from, we aren't just spared from death. We are redeemed from death. We are saved. This is what we confess whenever we take the cup. Whenever we drink the cup, we are confessing that our lives have been covered by the blood of Jesus. 
We're confessing that we have been washed clean, not by ourselves, but by the blood of Jesus. So as we drink this cup and we, we feel that juice run through our mouth, covering our tongue and, and covering our throat, it is a reminder to us that our lives have been covered by the blood of Jesus. So if you have a cup, you can take that and you can peel that next tab. The Bible tells us that likewise Jesus gave thanks. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, thank you that this covenant, this new covenant, has been ratified not based on our faithfulness, but based on your power. God, we recognize today that we are great sinners, but Lord, we recognize even more that you are a great Savior. And so, Father, we pray that you would remind us of that as we drink. Lord, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can take and drink. The, the Lord's Supper, it's a preview of our future. And as we take it, it's a reminder of our salvation. And finally, we see this Lord's Supper as a warning to our sin. The Lord's Supper is a warning to our sin. It has a dual purpose. It, it reminds us of the mercy that we have experienced, but then it, it warns us against our sin. Look at verse 21. He says, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Jesus makes it clear that he's being betrayed, but he's not being betrayed by someone from the crowd. No, he's being betrayed by one of the 12. He says, but behold, that's a, a prompter of attention. That's saying, Jesus, Jesus is saying, hey, listen up. The one engaged in the betrayal is at the table. Now we need to be clear here. The death of Jesus was not just an act planned by religious leaders. It wasn't just an act that was planned by Judas. Understand this, that the death of Jesus was predestined by God. Now, sometimes we get nervous about that word predestined, but predestined is a Bible word. Romans 8, Paul talks about we've been predestined. In Acts, Peter preaches and he says, the predestined plan of God to send Jesus to the cross. So here, Jesus says, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. In verse 22, he says, for the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. He calls himself the son of man. That's Jesus' favorite title for himself. Now, highlights his mission, that he's come to serve us. He's come to, to serve man and he says, the son of man goes. Now that word goes, it was used oftentimes in this day as a euphemism for death. It was literally this idea of going to one's death. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is he goes to die as it has been determined. Who determined it? God determined it. God sent Jesus to the cross. But understand this, God's sovereignty does not free Judas from responsibility. God is sovereign, Judas is responsible. The end of verse 22, he says, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. That woe is a, it's a word of judgment. What's amazing to me about this is Judas can be calm, cool, and collected. He can be confident in the midst of his sin. It's a dangerous place to be. Look at verse 23. It says, and they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this? Judas, knowing that he's the one who's going to do it, he plays it cool. Cool enough that the other disciples, they don't know that it's him. 
They don't know that he's the one who's going to do this thing. Now, what's amazing to me is that Jesus doesn't expose Judas in this moment. This is one more picture of Jesus being better than me. Because if this was me, I'm saying, hey, the one who betrays me, his hand is on this table and his name is Judas. Get him, boys, right? Uh, take, take care of him. But that's not what Jesus does. He knew the evil that Judas was planning and he still welcomes Judas to his table. There's a warning here for us. We might not be betraying Jesus by handing him over to his executioners. But how often do we share this meal? How often do we take the Lord's Supper and then betray him with our sin soon after? See, the Lord's Supper is a reminder to us that our sin cost Jesus a great price. And it's a warning to us that sin must be something we find because it costs Jesus his life. But the, the warning here is, is not just, or the reminder here is not just that we should fight against sin. But there's also a reminder to us that when we do sin, we still have hope and forgiveness. This is why Jesus instructs us to keep doing it. His expectation was not that we won't sin again, but that when we do, we keep coming back to be reminded of the grace found in the gospel. We keep coming back to him to experience and to encounter and to, to taste of his grace. I'll, I'll talk to people sometimes, I'll share the gospel, and they'll say, oh, Ethan, you don't, you don't know what I've done. I, I don't know what you've done, but you don't know how great Jesus is. Right? Pastor, I, I have done so much. I've committed so many sins. And the good news for all of us this morning is that you cannot out-sin the grace of God. Your sin, your brokenness, it is not too much for Jesus. And so maybe this morning you're thinking, I'm going to come to Jesus. This, Jesus sounds great. I'm going to come to him when I've got some things figured out. Well, friend, let me ask you this. What if you never figure those things out? What if you don't ever get the chance to figure those things out? Now, Jesus doesn't say to get clean, to wash your hands and then come to me. You know what Jesus says? He says, just come. He says, come all who are weary and heavy laden, just come. Right? You're, you're sinful, you're broken, just come. Simon, you're a tax collector, come on, just come. Nicodemus, you're, you're broken, just come. Woman, you're a prostitute, just come. Jesus doesn't say to come and I will tell you how to make yourself clean. No, Jesus says, come and I will make you clean. He says, come and I will give you rest. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. says, just come. Just come to him and he will clean you. Understand this. Jesus knows exactly what to do with your sin. Jesus knows exactly what to do with your brokenness. Jesus knows exactly what to do with your pain. And the Lord's Supper is a constant reminder of that. It's a constant reminder that Jesus knows what to do with you. He knows what to do with those secrets that you don't want to tell anyone. He knows what to do with those thoughts that you thought this week at work that you hope no one ever finds out about. Jesus knows and he forgives and he loves. He offers you forgiveness. You understand this. There's grace found in Jesus, not just for eternity, but there is grace found in Jesus for today. 
We do a good job at preaching the grace of Jesus for eternity, and we should. That Jesus can change your eternity. He can give you eternal life. He can and he will, but we forget that Jesus also gives you grace for right now. That when you, you sin, Jesus has grace. When you mess up, Jesus has grace. Whenever you need it, Jesus has grace. And he's got the exact kind of grace that you need. So maybe this morning you do need grace for eternity. Maybe this morning you you do for the first time, you need to put your trust and your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to turn to him and ask him to forgive you and to save you and to to rescue you from your sin. You've come to the right place. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. That today is the day, not to wait, but do it today. At the end of our service, you'll see some people in yellow shirts that say hello. There'll be some people down front. Yellow shirts are in name tags, and they're just wearing those shirts. They've got those name tags on to make it easier for you to find. That you can, they want to pray with you and talk with you and just see what the Lord's doing and, and see how we could come alongside you. Maybe this morning you've experienced Jesus' grace for eternity, but, but maybe today you need Jesus' grace for today. You need Jesus' grace for right now. Those same people would love to pray with you, love to talk with you, as we, we sing here in just a minute. Maybe you need to just take some time and just pray, Lord, I need you. God, I need to be reminded of your grace this morning. I need to be reminded of your mercy today. One of the things the Lord's Supper does is it teaches us and it reminds us We can't save ourselves. There's nothing in us that can earn anything from our God. And so this morning, because we have a new covenant, we're gonna sing a new hymn. The hymn we haven't sung before, it's a newer hymn, but you can be able to catch it on pretty quick. It's a familiar tune. But this song just simply confesses that all glory is to Christ. No matter what we do, all glory is to Christ. That should be the natural response of us coming out of the Lord's Supper. All glory to Christ because he has saved us. So let me invite you to stand. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. Father, thank you for the grace that is found in Jesus. Father, thank you for the mercy that Jesus has given to us. And Father, we pray this morning that we would know that. Father, that we would taste that, that we would see that. And Father, we pray that you would You would remind us moment by moment of the constant need that we are in for the grace that you freely give. Father, for those who need to trust you, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, they would trust you and they would be saved today. Father, for those this morning who need to be reminded of your grace, who need to experience your grace. Once again, maybe there are some this morning who feel like failures as Christians. God, I pray they would be reminded that we are all failures as Christians. But Jesus always succeeds as the Savior. And so Father, apply that truth to our hearts this morning. It's in his name that we pray.